Um, we are celebrating the Lord's table tonight, so be preparing your hearts as we worship together in the Word. Uh, be preparing your hearts to come to the table and, and remember the great thing that Jesus has done. Um, yeah, prepare yourselves for that. Some of you will remember just uh, some months ago in November, I, I played a song for you to introduce the sermon that night, and the text that night was 1 Peter 1.23, which says, For you have been born again. The text goes on to say, Not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and abiding Word of God. The song was written by an American artist uh, named Sarah Groves. I don't know if any of you know Sarah Groves, if you've listened to her. I, I love this song. I haven't listened to her a lot, but this song I dearly love. Um, let me remind you of the words. She says, Something's changed inside me. It's broken wide open and it's all spilled out. Till I had no doubt that something changed. Never would, never would have believed it till I felt it in my own heart. In the deepest part, the healing came. And I cannot make it. And I cannot fake it. And I cannot afford it. But it's mine. What's she singing about? She says something's changed. Something's changed. And then what I love about it, she says, oh, and it's all spilling out in my life. It's like, it's like it's irrepressible. Something so huge has changed within her. It's that inside-out thing that we see all the way through Scripture. What's she singing about? She's singing about regeneration. She's singing about being born again. That's what the song is about. I love it. It's true conversion, not heart-dead, brain-dead, legalistic, ritualistic, pseudo-Christianity. It's that supernatural heart transplant that God alone can do. That's what she's singing about. She's singing about that, that God-wrought thing that He does in the hearts of His people. You may remember Jesus' first and last sermon in Nazareth. Nazareth, you know why it was His last one, right? <laughs> they ran Him out of town. But He read Isaiah 61.1. He said, he says, I've come to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to give sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden. He said it a little differently in John 10.10. He said it this way, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. He said it a little differently in John 3.3 and you'll remember this for sure. Remember what he said to Nicodemus? The religious professional the man who probably knew the Scriptures backward and forward. He knew the law perfectly. He adhered to the law. He was a law keeper. In the eyes of men, he was flawless. What did Jesus say to this religious professional? Nicodemus, you're nowhere until you're born again. You must be born Again, it's what Sarah Groves is singing about. She says, something's changed in me. Something has changed. And what, what's her next line? You know, we saw in 1 Peter 
chapter 1, verse 3, God has caused us to be born again. What's her next line? Something's changed in me. I don't want you to ever forget this. This is, this is a huge part of the sermon. You can't forget this. This is, the, this is what James is talking about in James chapter 2. Something's changed in me. Then what happened? It all spilled out in my life. It broke open into my life. It spilled out into my life. Listen, beloved, if your Christianity hasn't spilled out into your life, every sphere of your life, you haven't met Jesus yet. If it's real, it'll spill out into your life. This is what James, this is what God is saying to us through His servant, James. It's one thing we've been seeing, we saw over and over again in 1 Peter for the last 10 months. If our faith is real, it shows up. If it shows up, even if it's risky, even if it's costly, even if... Even in the face of persecution, the Christian will stand for the glory of Jesus. And I love that she says, I, can't, I cannot make it. She says, I, this, this change is so huge. It's so massive. It's so supernatural. It's way bigger than religion. She says, I, I can never make this. I'm a new person, is what she's singing. She says, I can't fake this. It's so radical. It's so genuine. It's so intimate. I could not feign this or conjure this up. It's way bigger than mere religion. She says, I can't afford it. It's so priceless. It's so infinitely valuable. I could never buy this. I could not bargain with anyone for this kind of change. I love that she says it this way, but she says it's mine. So tell me, why is it hers? And if you're a Christian tonight, why is it yours? Pardon me? It was paid for by God. It's the free gift of God. Ephesians 2.8 Beloved, if you have faith tonight, it's not because you were smart enough to figure it out. You didn't reason it out. It wasn't some logical equation that you engaged in. If you have faith tonight, the Bible says it's because God gave it to you. Ephesians 2.8, it's the gift of God. You know, I say it so often, we, we, a billion eternities will not be long enough to praise God for the truth of the, the text I just read to you from 1 Peter. God caused us to be born again. He did it. It's an awesome and breathtaking thing. God has been saying to us as we've gone through 1 Peter the last 10 months, in in essence, God has challenged us to live this free gift huge. Even when it's risky. Even when it's costly. That's when it matters the most. <laughs> That's when you're on stage. That's when you're center stage and the whole world is watching you in the hard spot. Do you really believe this God? Do you really trust this God? Will you really honor this God? That's what we've seen, at least in part, in... First Peter, we see it tonight in this great text, this famous text, this beautiful text, this foundational text in the book of James. Sarah Groves is right. If it's real, it will spill out. I'm not talking about perfection. None of us do this thing called Christianity perfectly. <laughs> That's what John tells us in 1 John. 
we come and we confess our sin and He's faithful to wash us clean of our sin. I'm not talking about perfection, but I am talking about being a disciple. That's what we talked about for 10 months in 1 Peter. We are called to be disciples. That means we follow Jesus. We go where He goes. We say what He says. We do what He tells us to do. I know many of us fail, but then He gives us grace. And He says, get back up, my child, and go with Me. This is what real Christians do. They follow hard after Jesus. You remember what Jesus said in John 8, which I bring up to you many, many, many times. Jesus said, if you abide in My Word, you are truly Mine. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Beloved, are you free to go out into the world and make much of Jesus? Or are you still intimidated by the world? Listen, if you're in His Word, if you're abiding in, in Jesus and in the Word of Jesus, you are free. You are free to go out into the world and do the Word. And You know, we're not fueled by religious guilt or religious duty. That's not our fuel. That's not the true Christian's fuel. It's not about guilt and, du and duty. It's not about ought and should. It's about I love this awesome God. Right? <laughs> I love Him! And I give my life to Him! How can we not give our lives to Him? After what He's done! <laughs> How can we not do it? So our fuel is this love we have for this great God. It's what we see in maybe my favorite chapter in the Bible, Hebrews 11. God defines faith in Hebrews 11, and then He illustrates it so you and I can't misunderstand it. He goes, oh, and this is what it looks like. Noah, Abraham, Sarah, David, Moses, Rahab. On and on and on. It looks like that. They just didn't believe some stuff and sit in the church. Or we would say the synagogue. They believed some stuff and they went out into the world. And they did awesome things in my name. Because they believed. They really believed. They believed in such a way that their lives were changed. They believed in such a way that they put their faith to work. In many circles in the world today, in many churches, so-called Christian churches, it is either taught or at least implied that all you have to do to be a Christian is you just do this little formula. We're going to give you a formula. You do this formula, we pronounce you a Christian, and you're a Christian. The problem with this formula is you never see... I, there are about 15 formulas. I've studied these formulas. You never see any of them in here. Jesus says, you must be born again. That's the formula. And we cannot manage that, beloved. The Word of God and the way God saves a man, it's a supernatural thing. And I think much of the church has lost respect for how huge this is, and we, we claim, religious professionals, we claim we can manage conversion. I can't manage it. I, 
I tremble before it. I worship before it, but I do not try to manage it. I do not try to manage it. Beloved, we need to have some humility before the Scriptures and what God has told us about true conversion. So as we go through this text tonight, I'm going to... I want you to, you know, God's going to give us a reality check on our faith. Does, does our faith meet God's definition of faith? Or have we been deceived by some form of pseudo-Christianity, which there are many varieties? So, as we go through this text, I, I want you to listen for the four questions God asks about faith. And God will reveal clearly that there is a kind of faith that does not save anyone. And He will use powerfully descriptive terms to talk about the kind of faith that doesn't save anyone. So you heard the text read. We'll pick up here. James chapter 2, verse 14. God says through His servant James, What use is it, brethren, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? First two questions put to us from God. When I read that, um, Mike knows and Amy knows. Uh, I don't think anyone else here will know. Scott Moore. Uh, Scott was here for a few years. Uh, he's now back in the States. Great, great guy. I love this guy. He would always say the same thing in Bible study. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. He would say it all the time. Talk is cheap. You know, God has effectively said the same thing. If you look over in James chapter 1, verse 22, actually he's saying it right here in James chapter 2. Over in James chapter 1, verse 22, he's talking about people that hear and never do anything. Remember what, what God says about people that hear and never do anything? James 1, 22. What does he say? They're deceived. They're deluded. God's talking here about people who hear and, and, and maybe talk, but never do anything. Which we'll see in the coming verses. I want us to get this because there's a lot of bad teaching. A lot of bad teaching. So I want us to get this. In verse 14, God is echoing the sentiment that those who merely talk their faith, God says, what good is that? Those who merely hear and don't do, God says they're deluded. Those who, who, who simply talk their faith and never do the Word, God says, what use is it? Can that kind of faith save a man? I like how the message paraphrases verse 14. Listen to what it says. Eugene Peterson says it like this. Friends, do you, do you think you'll get anywhere if you learn all the right words but you never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? Beloved, God is saying if you never put legs to what you say you believe, well, we're going to see it in the text. Verse 17. God says that's a dead faith. He says it's a dead faith. Verse 20, He says it's a useless faith. 
It's what the Word of God says to us. Verse 15 through 17, if a brother or sister is without clothing and, and in need of daily food, this is the illustration, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that, God says? What use is it? Even so, faith, if it has no works, it is dead, being by itself. This is the third question. What use is a faith that only hears or only talks? God says, what use is it? What use is it? What use is it to tell somebody without clothing to be warmed? What use is it to tell someone without food to be filled? What good is it? <laughs> is what God is asking. Verse 17, faith if it has no works is dead being by itself. I love again how Eugene Peterson paraphrases verse 17 in the Message Bible. It's a paraphrase. It's not the Word of God. It's a paraphrase. But I love how he says this. I've always loved it. I think it's my favorite paraphrase verse in the Message Bible. Eugene Peterson paraphrases it like this. Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? Don't you love that? Isn't it obvious... That if we're just going to talk and we're not going to do, biblically, that's outrageous nonsense. I love that. Outrageous nonsense. Before God, it's outrageous nonsense. It's just heart dead, brain dead, legalistic, ritualistic religion. We know how God feels about religion. Even religion with the label Christianity on it. God hates it. God hates religion. Religion is always a substitute for the relationship that God has called us into. I remember back in 2008, we spent six months in the book of 1 John. You guys know 1 John is the book of assurance. If you want to know if you're a Christian, go read 1 John. If you look like 1 John, uh, you're a Christian. But you remember what John said. He said essentially the same thing James is saying. It spills out. It spills out as you love the brethren. As you serve the body. As you share the Gospel in the world. The change! It spills out. It's what Sarah has been singing about. God says faith without works is dead. Now, you know what dead means, right? What does it mean? It means dead. <laughs> Have you ever seen a dead thing accomplish anything? Dead things do nothing. They lay there. They're dead. The best thing you can do is just bury it. It's never going to do anything. And God says, verse 17 if you just have faith that hears and faith that talks, he says, he says, what good is that? That's dead. That's a dead faith. This is the Word of God. Dead faith does nothing. 
But a faith that does nothing, it reveals everything. It reveals a faith that does not save. It reveals that you're involved in some kind of fraud, some kind of religious fraud. You know, you can fool me and I can fool you, but nobody fools God. Beloved, He sees our heart. He knows if we love Him or not. Do you notice this little phrase here at the end of verse 17? He says it's a, it's, a, it's a dead kind of faith. It's by itself. It's by itself. And I want to make this qualification. Of course we're not saved by works. That's not the point here. We are Bible believers. How are we saved? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Don't ever forget that. That's what the Protestant Reformation was all about. We're not saved by works. We're not saved by sacraments. We're not saved by indulgences. We're not saved through purgatory. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This is the Gospel. This is the Gospel. But you know, the Bible interprets the Bible, right? <laughs> and James is saying, if we really have the faith, Let's say the faith that saves, it'll, well, as Sarah said, to quote Sarah, it'll spill out. It'll be spilling out. We're not saying we're saved by works. That's not what we're saying. Don't hear me say that. That's not what James is saying. James is complimenting Paul. James is not saying we're saved by works. But he's saying if we're really saved, if we've really come into relationship with Jesus, you can't hold the works in. Really, beloved? You need to honor the Lord. <laughs> you need it. You want it. You crave it. This is what it is to be a disciple. If we've experienced real grace and we've been given real faith, it breaks open and it spills out. John Calvin said it the best, this famous 16th century reformer. He says, faith alone justifies. Don't ever forget it. Faith alone justifies. But the faith that justifies, someone finish that for me, is never alone. The works come. They just come. Because you're a child of God, they come. The fruit comes. You're a child of God. <laughs> you know, it comes. I was thinking about all the ways that... Well, let me, let me say this. Over in verse 22, James illustrates this fact using the life of Abraham as Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac. By the way, the same illustration that Paul uses in Romans 3 and Romans 4, the exact same illustration, and people say this is a conflict. All you got to do is actually study the Bible. Read it for yourself. Verse 22, chapter 2 of James God says, you see that faith was working with His works and as a result of the works, the, His faith was, someone tell me, His faith was what? Made complete. complete. We're not justified by works, but our faith is shown to be genuine in the works. Our faith, as, as my text says, the NAS, the New American Standard, our faith is perfected through the works this is pervasive in the, the parables of Jesus. 
He used this kind of language all the time. Let me ask you, what's evident in the good soil? Someone tell me, what's evident in the good soil? There's fruit, right? And this is really what James is saying. If your faith is of God, if your faith is genuine, there'll be fruit in your life. How do we tell a good tree from a bad tree? What did Jesus say? You can tell by the fruit. How do we tell the difference between the wheat and the tares? How do we tell? By the fruit. What will be evident in the branch that abides in the vine? What will be on the branch that abides in the vine? It'll be fruit. This is what James is saying. The fruit will be budding in your life. It will be coming forth out of your life. I'm not going to turn to John 15. You can do that later at your leisure, John. 15, 1-6, Jesus uses the word abide five times. Talking about the branch that must abide in Him to bear fruit. Five times in six verses, Jesus said, you need to live in Me and dwell in Me and remain in Me and reside in Me. In essence, a true believer lives in the Word. He incarnates the Word. He gives it legs. It's what God is saying to us in James chapter 2. The true believer gives legs to the Word. It's, it's on our hands. It's on our tongue. It's in our thinking. It's how we plan. It's how we dream. It's how we do our job. It's how we raise our kids. It's how we love our wives. It's how we love our husbands. Verse 18, But someone may well say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. A word I like to use, it's not a biblical word, but it's a word I like to use. Your Christianity will always be conspicuous. Or it should be. Let me say it. Your Christianity should be conspicuous. Everybody in your orbit should know who you belong to. There should be no mystery about this. I say it to you all the time, no such thing as a secret agent Christian. There's no such thing. Everyone in your orbit should know who you belong to, who you love preeminently, and what your life is all about. Right? What's it all about? Oh, it's about making a lot of money and buying a lot of stuff and having a lot of fun. That's what it's all about, right? As a Christian, right? No! (laughs) It's about Him. It's about the Lord. It's about making much of Jesus in the world. I tell you this all the time. It's really the preeminent reason you're still on the planet is that you might make much of Jesus in the world. In your orbit, you make much of Jesus. Jesus is clearly seen and known in your orbit because you're in it. You smell like God. (laughs) As the Scripture says, let me ask you, how do we know Noah had faith? How did we know? How do we know? Is it conjecture? How do we know Noah had faith? There's a huge ark in the backyard, right? So, how, how, how do we know? How do we know Abraham and Sarah had faith? How do we know? There's this little miracle kid running around. His name is Isaac. So, how do we know Moses had faith? He's taking Israel through the Red Sea. 
How do we know David had faith? Are you getting are you you picking up on the train of thought here? How do you know David had faith? There's a dead giant laying at his feet. Beloved, that's you. That's me. We may not do anything as spectacular as that, but we stand, as we've been saying all the way through 1 Peter, we stand in the world and we give a witness. We give a witness that Jesus Christ is Creator. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is Savior. Jesus Christ is returning! And He will rule and reign forever! Give a witness, beloved. That's what your works are about. (laughs) What does Jesus say in Matthew 5? Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's why we're here, beloved. The world is supposed to taste and touch and hear and smell Christianity off of you. That's your job. You call yourself a Christian, that's your job. That's your job in the world. And God, I want to make this point again, God is powerfully refuting the false teaching so prevalent today in the modern church that, well, all it means to be a Christian is I believe some facts about Jesus. I believe some facts. I acquiesce mentally and intellectually to some facts. And I do some religious stuff. If it's not too inconvenient, I do some religious stuff. I've done my formula. I'm a Christian. God is refuting that from this text. There there is no formula. There's a God of grace and mercy who saves. (laughs) You know, people say, well, Jim, how do I find the Lord? It's very simple. What does the Scripture say? You pray this prayer. No, the Scripture doesn't say that. Although that's what I was told when I was a boy. (laughs) Just pray this prayer. The Scripture says, God says, you will seek me and find me when? When you search for me with all your heart. Anyone that's ever truly sought for God will find God. This is the promise of God. This is the promise of God. You say, now wait a minute, Jim. Paul says over in Romans 3 that we're justified by faith apart from works. I know I've already touched on this. But I want to, you know, a lot of people say this is a biblical contradiction. It's not. I want to quote John MacArthur on this. This is the best quote on this I've ever uh, seen. Bear with me. It's just uh, about five or six lines here, so I want you to listen. James and Paul are not standing face to face in confrontation, but are standing back to back fighting common enemies. Paul is fighting those who want salvation to be earned by works. Paul says that's impossible. And James is fighting those who want a salvation that brings no change in the life. That's impossible. Quoting still, Paul is saying salvation is only by grace. James is saying salvation by grace alone will produce works. There is no argument. There is no disagreement. There is no tension here. Do you understand, beloved? If you have any questions, come to me after the the service. I'll be happy to try to help you with that. I don't believe the confusion is genuine. I believe it's a manufactured controversy. I do not believe it's genuine. MacArthur's right. Paul and James are in perfect balance. 
God says faith without works is dead, and then He really drives it home. Verses 19 and 20. Oh, you believe that God is one? Great! The demons believe that! <laughs> and they shudder! He says, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works, it is useless. God says, oh, you're orthodox? That's great! Satan is orthodox. Satan believes everything in the Bible. Painfully, he believes it. He hates it, but he believes it. He knows it's the truth. It's not simply about believing. It's not simply about intellectual assent. The demons believe it. They are the perfect theologians. They know it's true. It's not about knowing it's true. What's it about? What is God saying to us in the text? It's about living like it's true. And the demons never do, of course. It's not about believing it. Simply. Simply. It's about loving it, right? And it's about doing it. I love what John MacArthur says. He says there's no such thing as a liberal demon. There's no such thing. <laughs> you know, the demons actually, their faith, the demon faith, is actually stronger than many so-called Christians. At least they tremble, right? Before God's Word. They shudder before it. They don't believe in some dispassionate way or some lukewarm way or some lethargic way or some unconcerned way. They tremble. So God drives this point home graphically, doesn't He? He's effectively saying that dead human faith, it's even inferior to demon faith. And here's the fourth question. You saw it there in verse 20. Are you willing to recognize that faith without works is Useless. He says, you foolish fellow. The implication is, of course, if we believe we can have faith and not have works, God is calling us a fool. God is saying that we are foolish. We are vain in our thinking. We are senseless. God is as clear as He can be. There is no ambiguity here. God says faith without works is dead and He likens it to the kind of faith that Satan and his minions exhibit or display. God is overwhelmingly clear here. The one who hears without doing is deluding himself. The one who merely talks about faith and never does anything about it, God says that faith is dead and that faith is useless. God has given us three kinds of faith here that do not save. A dead faith, a demon faith, and a useless faith. I love this text though because to me, anyway, and again, I extend an invitation. If you have confusion, please come to me. I think a six-year-old could preach this. I can remember the first time I preached this text and Karen asked me, How, how's it going? I said, oh, it's, I'm, it's a slam dunk. And she goes, you think that pleases God for you to say that? I said, of course! A six-year-old could preach this! It's not hard to understand. You know, it takes a PhD or a religious professional to mess this up. It's quite clear, beloved. I believe it's quite clear. The stories told by an African missionary tells of a tribesman that came out of the woods, looked him in the eye, and he said, I want to know what you teach. 
And the missionary says, have you heard that someone shared some of the Gospel with you? And he says, no, I've never heard it, but I've seen it. He had seen it in his enemies. He had seen it. He said, I want to know what that is. That's your job, beloved. That's my job. That the world would see the Gospel in us. Sarah Groves is right. Biblical Christianity is not some religious or denominational formula. It's a radical, supernatural change within us. It's the inside out. It's the supernatural God transplant. And when that happens, it breaks wide open and it all spills out. I'm exhorting you tonight, beloved, those of you who know Jesus, go out in the world and let it spill out for every day for the rest of your life. Let it spill out. Let God be magnified and glorified in your good works. Let your light shine in such a way that God would be honored. That's our job description, beloved. That is our job description. So I exhort you to be a disciple. I exhort you to go out in the world and in the church and let your faith be conspicuous. Because God says, faith without works, you tell me, faith without works is it's dead. It's dead. We are going to celebrate the table tonight. We have open communion here. All that have professed faith in Jesus and have followed Him in believers' baptism, you are welcome to partake tonight with us. Um, I always give the, Paul's warning to the Corinthians, don't come to the table in an unworthy manner. Confess your sin. Repent of your sin. If you have sin in your life that you're not willing to repent of, I would not encourage you to come to the table. But if you want to come in repentance celebrating what Jesus, not, not only what He's done, but who He is and how He's loved us and the inheritance that He's purchased for us. I want you to take a few minutes. What we do here, Josh will play a song. It'll be about four or five minutes long. I want you to prepare your heart to come and truly worship and encounter God through this ordinance. So you prepare your heart while the music plays. During that time, as the music plays, come up and Take the cup, take the bread, go back to your seat. After the music ends, I'll stand, I'll read a text, and then we'll partake at that time. So prepare your hearts as we celebrate what this awesome God and Savior has done in our behalf.